You're listening to the Ikra Book Festival 2020, brought to you by The Ark, Radio Ramadan 365, Al Khair, Human Relief Foundation, and Allison Street Cleaners. Allison Street Cleaners, is your laundry piling up? Are you too tired or busy to get it done? Come to Allison Street Cleaners, a fast and friendly laundrette. Services include dry cleaning, ironing, shirt service, and you can now also hire the rug doctor, making sure all your cleaning needs are fulfilled. Presenting you with an exclusive Ramadan special to Radio Ramadan listeners. £2 off every £10 spent until the 15th of June. Don't miss out. Visit us at 110 Allison Street, Glasgow, g 428 N or call 0141-423-3958 Alison Street Cleaners Clean water isn't a luxury It's the moral right of everyone Yet 785 million people live without it And the consequences are dramatic With diseases from dirty water Killing more people each year Than all forms of violence Including war It's why Human Relief Foundation bring clean water into the heart of communities. But they need your support to do more. Visit hrf.org.uk We believe that every child deserves a good education. This is the best way to ensure that they can achieve their full potential and escape a life of poverty for themselves and their families. All that these children want is a chance to learn and fulfill their dreams. With your donations, Al Khair Foundation helps thousands of children gain a quality education. Please support us so that we can continue to help some of the poorest children across the world. To learn more, please visit our Glasgow branch at 441A Victoria Road, Glasgow, G428RW or call on 0141-423-5747 or visit our website at alkhair.org. Assalamu alaikum and uh, welcome back uh, to the uh, Ikra uh, Book Festival. Uh, my name is Sajid Qayyum. I'm, uh, I'm one of the trustees of the ARC Amiri Ramadan and founding member of the radio station. Uh, and this uh, today comes to you uh, by courtesy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of God, and also, of course, um, our wonderful sponsors today, Al Qaeda Foundation uh, and Human Relief Foundation. So if you enjoyed any of today's um, uh, book readings, uh, excerpts, interviews, etc. Please do um, uh, show your support for these wonderful charities uh, by going to the websites and giving some money in that way. Um, Aziz Bhatti, um, and also um, uh, they be throughout the day many many books uh, <coughs> up there. And if you have any questions to today's speakers, please do so. I'm going to move straight on um, to our next session, which is uh, Shivani Basu, um, talking about her book, Princess: The Life of Nur and Khan. And introduced to introduce that section, I'm very uh, privileged to introduce uh, Dr. Guy Bowman, um, who is also one of our authors today. Um, uh, so he's playing both sides today, uh, interviewer and interviewee. Um, and uh, he, um, he will let you know about his particular area of specialism. I was very blessed to, to meet him at um, one of the Colourful Heritage uh, events in Glasgow, um, I think a year or two ago. Uh, what, uh, a wonderful individual, uh, a very passionate individual about his subject. Um, but I'll let you, um, I'll let him introduce himself and also uh, uh, Shabani uh, about her book, um, uh, about Nurmi Thank you, Sajid. Uh, welcome, everyone. Good morning. Lovely to see you. I can't see many of you, but I know that you're there. 
Um, uh, good morning, Shravani. How are you this morning? Oh, morning. It's yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Looking forward Great. to this. <laughs> Excellent. Nice to see you. Uh, so, just to by way of introduction, I should say that Shravani Basu uh, was born in Kolkata, um, grew up in an interesting variety of places, including South Asian capitals Kathmandu and Delhi and Dhaka. Um, studied history uh, and is a journalist. Has been a journalist for many years in South South Asia and in the UK. Um, has interviewed a number of extraordinary people, including Benazir Bhutto and Sheikh Hasina uh, and Salman Rushdie and Nirad Chowdhury, and not forgetting uh, Viv Richards, the cricketer, which has been a great pleasure to interview. And has written a number of books. Um, so the, the the a book about Victoria and Abdul, possibly possibly your greatest success, um, which then led to a film. Um, uh, the first title called simply called Curry, which sounds like a good title for a book, um, a book about the uh, Indian soldiers in the Great War in the Western Front for King and Another Country, um, and a book coming out next year, The Mystery of a Parsi Lawyer, and the book that we're here to talk about today, um, which is uh, mm -hmm. Spy, Spy Princess, the story of Noor Inayat Khan. And um, Shrabi's work um, uh, around this extraordinary woman, Noor Inayat Khan, has included a lot of um, advocacy, uh, including the Noor Inayat Khan Memorial Trust, which uh, uh, the, the actual memorial was erected in tw uh, 2012, um, a postage stamp, um, which I had lots of, but have unfortunately <laughs> have used them all, um, a British, wonderful British postage stamp with a photo of, of Noor on it, uh, and a blue plaque this year. So um, it's a, a great time really to be um, to be recalling this fantastic woman uh, and her contribution. Um, and um, I think, so, I mean, the book was originally published in 2006. So it's, you know, it clearly continues to, uh, to go on and to have an impact. Um, let's start, if you're ready, Shravani, with a, a reading from the book. So if you could read us something from your book, that'd be great. Sure. Right. So, hello, everybody. It's lovely to be here uh, in the morning. I know you're all across time zones. Thanks for joining. Um, uh, so, he showed you a lovely cover, and this is another cover I'd like to show you, Spy Princess, the original one. Um, and I will read from it. It's um, This is the bit uh, just before Noor uh, leaves on her secret mission. So, for those of you who don't know, Noor was a secret agent. And this is the last night before she is flying to Paris uh, in the Second World War. On the afternoon of 16th June, Vera Atkins called for Noor at Orchard Court in an open car. This estate car had been nicknamed the hearse by the SOE. They drove through the Sussex countryside in full summer bloom with honeysuckle and marguerites. Noor hardly said a word. Vera Atkins noticed she had a serene expression on her face and a half smile playing on her lips. She always felt that Noor was very self-contained, had an unworldly idealism. It was nearly evening by the time they reached Tangmere in Sussex and stopped outside the little ivy-covered cottage just opposite the main gates of the RAF station. It was partly hidden by tall hedges and could hardly be seen from the road. Though it was a summer evening, all the doors and windows were shut and the silence was almost eerie. But as the two women stepped inside, they found the hall was full of smoke and they could hear men's voices. After a hearty farewell supper, Vera Atkins led Noor upstairs to a room. Noor started to get ready, putting on her green oilskin coat. In her handbag was a French identity card, ration card, and her Webley pistol. 
the rest of her belongings, radio, clothes, personal effects, would be parachuted separately, so she did not have to carry them with her. Carrying the pistol was a precautionary step in case they were ambushed as soon as they landed. Vera Atkins did the usual last minute pocket check for English cigarettes, English bus tickets, or English money, anything that could risk the agent's life if discovered. As she was getting ready, Noor noticed a silver bird on Vera Atkins' suit and remarked how lovely it was and how Vera always managed to look so smart. She herself, she felt, inevitably looked plain. The older woman took off the bird and pinned it on Noor's lapel. When Noor protested, she said, it's a little bird, it will bring you luck. Soon there was a knock on the door signaling that it was time to go. The full moon shone high in the sky. A large Ford estate car was waiting to take them to the airstrip. There silhouetted against the night sky, she could see the two Lysanders waiting for their passengers. Noor stepped out into the night and walked on English soil for the last time. She felt she was keeping her promise to the people of France. She was going back. In France that evening, waiting agents received a message in the middle of an entertainment program on the BBC French service. It said, Jasmine is playing her flute. It was the code telling them that Noor was coming. Lovely, thank you, Shrabani. That's a beautiful little extract. And I love that little bird on the lapel and the, mm -hmm. the, the gift to Noor as she, as she went off to France. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm going, I've got some slides here, which I'm going to put on. Okay. And I'm going to, um, which are the, uh, so. Hopefully people can see that now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. So, um, and for those people who don't know um, mm -hmm. who Noor was, or you know a little bit, perhaps can you give us a, a, a summary of her story? Right. So Noor, Noor Inath Khan was a secret agent in the Second World War, but I will just get back to, you know, giving you her background because how did a young Indian woman land up, you know, in this heart of uh, the war in Europe. So let's go back to her, her life history. Um, she uh, is born in Moscow in 1914 to an Indian father. You can see her father. Uh, he is uh, holding little, little Noor there. Uh, his name is Hazrat Inayat Khan. And he was a Sufi uh, who was originally from Baroda in Western India. And he was asked by his Sufi teacher to take Sufism to the West. So he's the first person who brings uh, the Indian, he was the, you know, to bring the Sufism from, uh, from Hyderabad. So this is the Indian strain of Sufism. There are various strains of Sufism as, you know, I'm sure all the audience here knows. Um, and so he took this abroad. He went with his brothers to, um, to the US. Uh, and uh, I think there's a slide of all the brothers, Guy, maybe? Oh, so sorry, this is, uh, no, so we'll go to the brothers uh, in a while. So they set up a, a, a group called the Royal Musicians of Hindustan. And uh, we'll go back, back one slide, sorry. And while they were on a concert, he met this beautiful lady. She's American. Her name is Ora ba uh, Ray Baker. And uh, they fall in love instantly and they get married. They come to London and they get married. And... Then they go back to, Mo they go to Moscow and Noor is born in Moscow, as you can see. She is um, called Babuli at home. Um, but this is 1914 and Moscow is going through a really turbulent time. So then the family come back to London. So here they are, we move to the next 
and one more. Yep, thanks. Um, and you can see, no, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Um, so uh, this is the family. I think this photograph is in London, in Gordon Square, where they lived. And uh, in London, so um, they have three more children. So now they are, you know, four. Noor has three siblings. Her eldest brother, the second one after her, is um, uh, Vilayat, then Hidayat, and the little one is Claire, her younger sister. Um, standing at the back are the two brothers. So it was a large house that they lived in. There was a lot of music. Uh, Inayat Khan gave a lot of talks. They stayed there for six years. Uh, but he was being watched by the British government because they felt he was a, you know, he believed in Indian independence. He had sung songs for Gandhi. He was a patriot. And uh, they were watching him. They thought he's a spy. And um, they, uh, he was advised to go to France. They said France is friendlier to the Indians. And he moved to France with his family. So once again, the family moved. And here in France, on the outskirts of Paris, uh, next slide, please is uh, they live in this beautiful large house donated by a Sufi follower. It's called Fazl Manzil, uh, which means house of blessing. And this is the house in which Noor grows up. So uh, this is where she's um, a young adult. As we can see, she, all the children, they sit, they wear these Indian clothes. They've all learned musical instruments. They form a quartet. Can we have the next slide? There they are in there. So Noor played the harp. She is uh, here in the sari playing the harp. Her younger sister Claire is there. Claire is uh, uh, Claire used to play the piano. Vilayat played the cello, and Hidayat <coughs> played the violin. So you can see it's a very talented family. And Noor now goes to the Sorbonne. She studies child psychology. Uh, she also studies music under Nadia Boulanger. Um, and she at this moment time she also. She falls in love with a Jewish musician, but there's lots of objections uh, from the family. And, uh, sorry, I have a message. Please tilt your screen down. Um, is that better? Even a bit more slightly. That's great. That's good, Shrami. That better? Sorry. <laughs> You're just seeing the top of my head there. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so she is, uh, she is uh, you know, she learns child psychology and... Um, she falls in love, but the family don't uh, object to him. So she's sort of torn between her family and her love life. Um, she starts writing children's stories and she's published in 1939, but she writes the 20 Jataka tales, children's stories, but um, this is 1939, war clouds are gathering in Europe. All dreams for this young, dreamy musician, writer are going to end. And 1940, with the German army just outside Paris, she and her uh, brother Vilayat sit down and they decide that they are Sufis, but they're going to go, they believe in nonviolence, but they're going to go to Europe, uh, uh, to England, and they are going to volunteer for the war effort. So they take this very crucial decision. They, you know, with all the other refugees leaving Paris, they go to England. And uh, can we have the next slide, Aggie? So this Noor is now a young adult. She has learned, uh, no, sorry, we go back. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay there, yeah. So Noor, who has learned the Veena, is a dreamer, is now going to go to London. And she volunteers, uh, if we move on, she now volunteers for the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. So this is Noor in her WAF uniform. And suddenly from being, uh, you know, very sort of genteel, company of the 
you know, known as the Pirzadi, daughter of the Pir of Pirzadi, Nurun Nisa Inayat Khan, this beautiful title, very cushioned by her family. She suddenly just becomes a number in a uniform, sleeping in a Nissan hut, and the second phase of her life begins. But very, um, you know, she does feel very liberated. Suddenly, you know, all these men who always surrounded her, young, but there were the uncles who took a, you know, very sort of strong position. Uh, there are her brothers, and uh, suddenly she's free. She is, um, she trains as a radio operator. She becomes, uh, you know, she's very good at the job. Uh, but very quickly, she is recruited by a secret organization called the Special Operations Executive, and this secret organization is looking after people with language skills. She speaks fluent French. She's a good radio operator. She's recruited. The interview is really short. She's asked, uh, she's told she'll be sent as a secret agent to Paris undercover. So she will have a false identity. She will not be in uniform. And if she is caught, she will be shot. Will she take the job? And Noor being Noor says yes. So she flies, you know, you saw that extract, she's trained and then she flies to France undercover. And uh, maybe Guy, let's, uh, we can then move on to the next stage of the story. This is Noor in, um, as a secret agent, looking very different from all those earlier photographs you saw of her. Um, she, works... she looks older, doesn't she, in that photo? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, she does, doesn't she? And there is mm. this, um, I don't know, something in her eyes, there's an angry look, a very determined look, you know, gone is that gentle face. Um, mm. I think this is when she has been thrown in the heart of it. And you can see that determination in her face uh, because, you know, as a radio operator, it was one of the most dangerous areas in the field. They could be heard as they transmitted, they could be uh, caught uh, because they're carrying this heavy suitcase along with them. They have to put up an aerial, which is hard. You know, they can be seen putting up this aerial. She has so many narrow escapes, but she survives for three months doing crucial work while the rest of her circuit are arrested and they collapse. She becomes the last secret agent link between London and Paris and she plays a crucial role doing the job of six radio operators. Uh, but eventually she is betrayed. And once she's betrayed, she's arrested. And then she is tortured, interrogated. This is where the really dark side begins. And um, 10 months, she is kept in a prison, tortured regularly. Um, and on the 13th of September, she is taken to Dachau concentration camp, where she is brutally tortured again and executed. But she goes down screaming, Liberté, so the Germans can't break her spirit. And for me, that is, Noor's story, that is where she is inspiring. These are the gates of Dachau, where, as you can see, it's a every gate. Um, and um, it was, uh, it, it means work will set you free, but very few were set free. This was a lie, as they were, you know, they all died in the concentration camp. Uh, Noor herself uh, was tortured and then um, I think there might be another slide of the, yeah, this is the plaque in uh, Dachau, uh, in the Remembrance Room in Dachau, which uh, Madeleine was her uh, code name. So it is to Madeleine of the Resistance as she was known in France, um, prisoner of Dachau and uh, her radio operator under Buckmaster. 
She was eventually awarded uh, the highest civilian honor from Britain, which is the George Cross, which you can see listed there. And France gave her the Croix de Guerre. So she was highly honored. Um, but over the years, her story was forgotten, so that is the unfortunate mm. thing. Mm. We can talk about that. Thank you. Um, that's fascinating. That's a, uh, and thank you for that very swift um, uh, summary of her, of her life. Um, and I guess one of the crucial questions I think about Noor is about um, identity, you know, about the issue of identity. So she was, um, you know, a musician, she was a writer, she was a radio operator. Um, she had, I mean, her, her, her nationality is interesting in that she was, you know, she lived most of her life in France. She was British, she was Indian, but she was born in Russia. She spoke many languages. She was a linguist. Um, as a spy, her, her job was to take on a new identity. She became Madeleine. So she was there, you know, who was she? Um, and, and, and she, and she, um, you know, in terms of religion, she was from a Sufi family. And yet she, when she registered with the, uh, the WAAF, um, she put down her religion as, as Church of England. Um, so there's lots of kind of overlapping things here. And, and, and your book is called Spy Princess, which plays on the fact that she's descended from Tipu Sultan. So many different, and I wonder if, if, if she had survived and if she had uh, had the opportunity to write her autobiography, what might she have called it? What, what identity do you think she would have assumed for uh, her, her autobiography? You know, that's really interesting. She always described herself as a world citizen of the world. Mm. And she would tell her friend who I spoke to, Jean Overton Fuller, that if this war, you know, after this war, she would love to work in something like, um, you know, I think, well, the UN didn't exist then, but she, I think, saw, sort of foresaw something like the UN where she would do work, you know, bringing countries together. She wanted to build bridges. Mm. And, uh, but also she was fiercely, you know, like her father who had, who was, a, you know, as I mentioned, he was a strong um, nationalist, uh, nationalist in today's terms is a, not a good word, but let's say freedom fighter. Um, so he believed in Indian independence. And he told them that you have the blood of Tipu Sultan in your veins. And I think that gave them a lot of courage, a lot of, you know, we all know, I think most of the people here know who Tipu Sultan was. He uh, was a, he was known as the tiger of Mysore. He was a ruler of Mysore and he famously died uh, fighting the British. So she is descended from this line. And um, she was asked at a radio, uh, at a radio um, interview with the, uh, with the RAF, um, where her loyalties lay. She was asked, you know, completely frankly. And um, this is 1940 when all the top Indian leaders are actually in jail. As soon as the war broke out, all the top, you know, Gandhi, Nehru, they've all been taken, they've all been put in jail. And she's very aware of this. Mm. She, uh, she is an admirer of Nehru, Gandhi. And uh, she tells them very frankly, she says, at this moment, it is important to win this war. But after the war is over, uh, I will go back to supporting Indian independence. And they are shocked. They are absolutely shocked. But they believe her because there is something about her that, you know, says she's speak, speaking the truth. She's not hiding, saying, you know, I'm just on your side. She says, yeah. I'm on your side for now. <laughs> and she makes it very clear. And, you know, they recruit her. So um, that's, I think, I think that was her identity. She's a citizen of the world and she believed in humanity. <laughs> So, so she could have, I mean, she could have gone on to some extraordinary things after the war, could she not? I mean, as, as her brother did, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
thank you. I mean, that's uh, we've had a question um, uh, which I think I'm going to pick up um, from which which about films. So that um, there is a film about about Noah coming out quite soon. It's called A Call to Spy. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, given your experience of film adaptation of um, Victoria and Abdul, what would you like to see in a film version of Noah's story? And 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 how do you what do you think are the pros and cons of making making movies out of uh, out of true 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 stories like this? Right. So when Victoria and Abdul is actually uh, my own book, so they optioned my book. So I was a consultant and involved with the film which is very different from A Call to Spy. A Call to Spy is, was, is not optioned. It's not based on my book. I'm not a consultant. I have nothing to do with it. Um, so, I mean, it, they've used, Noor is one of the characters. I believe it is, I haven't seen it. It's, I believe it's about Vera Atkins and mm. two of her agents and Virginia Hall and uh, Noorina Khan. So she's one of the characters. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment about it. Um, but um, yes, it's, uh, if, my own book has been optioned for television. So fingers crossed, if we see it, uh, I will be involved with that one. That will be Spy Princess. And for me, it's really important that Noor's story is told correctly. This um, Noor story has been optioned by many, including Hollywood. And I actually took back a script because I did not approve of that script. Because for me, Noor's story has to be told um, in the proper and the correct way, because she is a very special person. And, you know, with all the campaigning I, I've done, it's, you know, it's quite obvious that I'm, you know, this character to me is very important. She's inspiring. A story has to be told correctly. There are various versions that often go out which are wrong. And, um, she, you know, she's not somebody who's just a secret agent who, you know, she's a Sufi. She's, uh, she meditates. There's something deep about her, her philosophy. And all this has to come out in the film. She's not just somebody who goes to war. She's not a trained soldier. She's not a gun happy, you know, trigger happy uh, secret agent. She's no James Bond, you know, she's, so I think that is the crucial difference. So the heart of Noor, the spirit she stood for has to come out uh, in any adaptation. And hopefully my, my you know, the one that's being adapted from my book will come out. So. Thank you. That's fascinating. And, and clearly there are many ways that you can present her. I mean, she is a, she is a complex character and, and uh, many different possibilities. And, and part of that is a process of, of uh, transformation, isn't it? It's a process of growing and learning and becoming a new person. Mm -hmm. We are getting a bit short of time. I'm just going to ask you about memorialization. So with the plaque that has, has been un unveiled this year, the mm -hmm. memorial statue that's been there for a few years and so forth, um, and all of that was, is within the context of things that have been happening this year, like the statue in Bristol of, of Colston, the slave trader, being coming down, and lots of new ideas about um, about memorialization and how that how that works and what's the relationship between that and history. I don't. I, I mean, what do you think? How do you put the importance of having having Noor in mm -hmm. you know in the public domain like that? Absolutely. I mean, she, when we campaigned for her, this is before Black Lives Matter happened. So, you know, this campaign started long back. Uh, first, I campaigned for her um, blue plaque because there was no blue plaque for an Indian woman. And I felt, you know, that had to be done, especially in Noor's case. Uh, so that took 14 years. Uh, but uh, uh, the memorial for Noor was, I started it in the campaign in 2010 and we had it by 2012. It was an intense campaign where we lobbied with you know peers with uh, you know prominent people then we raised funds we had concerts we had events at the house of commons 
And finally, Princess Anne unveiled it in 2012. Uh, I think I have the, uh, I have a slide, uh, Guy, if you'd like to share, uh, of the memorial. I'm not sure that we have that one. Uh, of the memorial? I should have sent it, no? Um, oh, okay, sorry, uh, if you go right. Yep, there it is. Thank you, pardon, yep, yep, there it is. There it is. So after this one, yeah. There's the memorial. So this yeah. is the Noor's Memorial at Garden Square. This was unveiled. It's a beautiful memorial. Uh, so Garden Square is the house uh, where she lived as a child and Tabitin Street is the last house she left from. And uh, for me, it's really important that this was again the first uh, statue of an Indian woman, uh, of any South Asian woman in, mm. in, uh, in Britain, in a public space. So can you imagine this? This gap, um, you know, London is full of statues of uh, men, largely military or royal or whatever. There are very few of women. You can probably count them. And uh, Noor is one of them. So that is brilliant. For me, it's about more representation. People, she's visited by people from all over the world. I know there are messages left there, flowers left there always. And she stands for, uh, you know, Jewish people come and put stones over there. Um, I know that the students there play holy with her, you know, and the festival of holy. <laughs> you can see there's, I've seen photographs of the, all the Indian students coming and putting holy on her. And um, we also do her urs on 13 September uh, every year, except for this year. We always have her urs uh, at Gordon Square and it's attended by so many people. The numbers are growing. Afterwards, we have coffee and cake. We do have a little Sufi ceremony. Uh, and uh, that is Noor. She combines, you know, everybody and brings people together. So for me, um, memorials like this are really important. They represent somebody else, you know, mm. the other side of Britain that nobody knows about mm. and uh, people who've contributed to this country. Mm. A massive contribution, a contribution not only to this country, but also to France as well, where she is extremely Absolutely. well remembered as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have a photo of the blue plaque, if you'd like to bring that up. So uh, in August this year, after 14 years, <laughs> we got the blue plaque. Uh, and this is outside her house on number four Taverton Street. So anybody who visits London, I would really ask you to, you know, visit Gordon Square. You'll see the memorial in the square and just next to it, two minutes away is the house. And this is her blue block there. So it is, um, it's an area which is, you know, belongs to the University of London. So there are lots of students, international students. And you know, this, I think, keeps her story alive, really does. People stop by and they watch it. You know. Fantastic. And, and, and a, testament, a testament not only to her, but to your hard work, Shravani. So I'm going to say thank you very much. Um, and I'm going to hand back to Sajid, who uh, may have got some questions from the uh, from the people. OK, thank you. Thank you, Guy. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hello, Shravani. And, and thank you very much for that uh, um, uh, slice of uh, um, uh, Nuri life. Um, it's, it's a shame that, you know, we've got such limited time here. This is the, the modern age of sound bites and uh, 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 this, uh, small uh, snippets of people's uh, books and lives, obviously years and years of your work and, and, and passion. Um, uh, a couple of queries, I just wanted a question, sorry, I wanted to just uh, uh, pose to you from, from, from uh, some of our, our viewers out there. Uh, you've covered this topic. Um, uh, and it, no, sorry, the first one I have to ask, which is, which is a very simple question, is how did you how did you discover her? How did you come across Noor Nayak? So it was actually 25 years ago. It was the 50th anniversary of VE Day, and uh, I'm a journalist, so you know I'm always doing these stories. And I was always been uh, interested in the contribution of Indians 
when I say Indians, I mean undivided India, obviously, uh, yeah. to the both wars, First World War, where I've written a book, and the Second World War. Uh, so there was a large spread in one of the Sunday newspapers about the Indian contribution. And, you know, among all these photos of, you know, a lot of turbaned Indian men, very good looking, handsome soldiers, in the corner, there was a photograph, a tiny photograph of a woman in this WAF uniform that I showed. And being a woman myself, I was drawn to that tiny photograph. And there was nothing about it. It was just a caption saying, Nurinath Khan, radio operator, killed in Dhaka, George Cross. Just like, you know, four bullet points. <laughs> and I said, my goodness, who is this woman? How did she land up in the heart of the war in Europe? Where is she from? Was she like a Matahari character? You know, my head was buzzing with questions when I saw that. And that's how it started. I just started wow. trying, because she had the George Cross, I first got that citation and then one after the other. And then by 2003, her, her secret service records were declassified. So, you know, declassified means they are made public at the National Archives. So I just applied straight away. I was the first to go read these files. And that is the whole record of how she's recruited, trained. It was like, you know, it was like a treasure trove. Uh, and of course, I spoke to her family, her brothers and her cousins and just put the whole jigsaw puzzle together. Fantastic. Sounds like an amazing, amazing journey uh, that you mm -hmm. took. And, and it's, it's wonderful to have that. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily ratified, but to have that blue plaque eventually um, uh, being put up, which is which is phenomenal work. Uh, and I should look forward to next time in London. I'm going to try and take my family and see and see that blue plaque and that wonderful that wonderful bust actually as well. Looks amazing. Um, um, and it's, it, it's nice how you say it's, it's juxtaposed next to these kind of very formal, no doubt large, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, men that you can so used to seeing um, mm -hmm. in, in, in these um, in these places. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the other questions which you have touched upon uh, is mm -hmm. uh, regarding um, her legacy and what it means to women, um, especially women of a, a diverse background and, and you know an Asian background for that matter, mm -hmm. here particularly in the UK. Um, what, what does her life mean? Um, I mean, it, it was it was fascinating to see. I've always I've always seen the picture of uh, Nurani in the, her uniform. That's the, the classic one that you see. Mm -hmm. I never saw the kind of the, the, the other version you showed with with the shirt on and so forth. You know, with kind of um, uh, um, kind of almost softer version of her, and 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 no doubt, obviously, she she was uh, breaking so many barriers. One, being a woman uh, in that time in war, um, you know, uh, two, but two, also uh, being from a, 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 an Asian background. Mm -hmm. What do you think that means uh, for for young um, Asian women today here in the UK? Mm -hmm. Look to her. Yeah, well, that's really important because uh, I write in my book that she came from a conservative family. You know, it was very patriarchal. She was going to have an arranged marriage at the age of 13. Would you believe it? And none of this would have happened, but her father died. And then, you know, this marriage never took place. She would have been married to somebody in Baroda and gone back into India. Goodness knows what would have, you know, what her future would have been then. Uh, but uh, the thing is, she, you know, it didn't happen. And then she went her own way. She was quite stubborn, though the uncles disapproved of her going in there into, you know, volunteering for uh, the war effort. She did it. So for me, I've done, you know, I do talks everywhere and I've done some in schools in, in Manchester where ethnic minority, uh, you know, it's largely Muslim areas, largely Muslim mm -hmm. schools. And they did a project and they invited me to give a talk. And um, they said, um, just ask these, uh, you know, they were year six uh, girls who may not have gone to university. Large families may have just, you know, looked after their younger children afterwards, got married. 
And after the talk, they said, if Noor Inayat Khan could do this when she was 30, you know, below, when she was just in her 20s, so mm -hmm. focused. And in the 1940s, yeah. you know, it inspires us. And uh, yes, I will go to university. And I was just that day, I had tears because I said, even if you can make one person change your mind and want to go to university, want to achieve something, I've done my bit. You know, I've done something. I've achieved something. So for me, Noor's story inspires. And that is beautiful. She inspires young Muslim women. I get so many letters. Uh, she inspires everybody. She gives courage. I've had people, you know, white people from Australia writing to me that they're going to have operations and they were thinking of the pain and then they thought of Noor and Noor's pain and felt strengthened. And that is amazing. You know, across, I've never even been to Australia to get a, you know, email like that from somebody I don't know was, uh, is very moving. So I think she appeals to such a wide range of people. Um, it's, uh, it's truly heartening. And I think that is why she needs to be remembered. Thank you very much for that. And just to, just to finish off a question really, um, uh, again, to do with what you know, who she reaches out to, and what what, what her legacy is, um, in this in this age, day and age of of Brexit, of divisiveness, of the politics of division, etc., that we see around the world mm -hmm. today. Um, what do you think she she says to the far right, and what do you think she says, you know, to to bridging those divides in in in, in some way? Well, Noor sacrificed her life in the fight against fascism. <laughs> And as we know, you know, neo-fascists are still rising all around. You still see swastikas and tattoos, and there is so much of hate. There is anti-Semitism, there is Islamophobia, both things happening. Somebody like Noor would, you know, she represents the fight against all these forces. She is a Muslim, she's a Sufi, but she believes in all religions. Uh, and uh, it's so important uh, to remember that there's somebody who sacrificed her life to fight against these divis uh, divisive tendencies. And, uh, you know, we must make sure that she, it was worth it. You know, this sacrifice that she made uh, should heal, not divide. Uh, I'm, I'm an idealist, but, you know, there oh, we are. <laughs> that's the way to live life, I think. Um, um, and just lastly, do you think she'll ever make it on the five pound note? <laughs> well, the 50 pound note was, uh, uh, you know, went to a scientist, so Noor fell out and it went to Alan Turing. But now there's a currency for the, uh, there's a campaign for the 50p coins. So it's for uh, ah. coins. So yes, everybody here who wants to see her face on that, do write to the Royal Mint, write to Chancellor Rishi Sunak. Uh, it's not a campaign led by me, but I'm obviously supporting it. It's led by um, uh, Zehra Saidi, who's a, uh, has a group called We Too Built Britain, and she thought Noor needed to be on this coin. Uh, so support her and uh, write to, you know, just tweet, Facebook, whatever, social media, say Noor needs to be on that 50p coin. Sounds good, that's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> a wonderful way to finish uh, today's interview. Thank you very much, uh, Shabani, for giving your time today. Um, and we're gonna move on just now. Um, we'll post those links up as well. Uh, both, uh, the, uh, in fact, I think most of your books are available on the historypress.co.uk. It's been posted up on, on the group here. Mm -hmm. And also on bloomsbury.com uh, uh, where your books are there as well available. Uh, not just in their nights, but your other books as well, which um, um, you can all uh, get and, uh, uh, you know, hopefully share that passion. But uh, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. All the best with the festival. Bye, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was a, a wonderful interview there um, uh, by uh, Guy on Shirvani Basu about her book.
um, about Noor Inayat Khan, the spy. Um, and a, we're coming back in a few minutes' time to uh, Dr. Guy, um, uh, who will be talking about his book, uh, The Indian Contingent and the Muslim Soldiers of Dunkirk. And we're back in a few minutes' time. It's time for you to go.